fellowship after church today, and uh, you will be sharing, huh? Oh, I'm sorry, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock, okay? Hallelujah. So in between noon and 2, you guys can do what you want. 2 o'clock, hallelujah. And uh, you're, what time are you eating? Oh, 2 o'clock. And, and uh, amen. That, and my wife is going to be bringing the word. Hallelujah. And um, amen. And uh, two o'clock. That's, I know, two o'clock. But that's too late to hang around and wait for food, though. That's two hours. I'll just go get my own food. <laughs> and it's good to see Vi and her hubby from hallelujah he was out of the uh looking good hallelujah praise the lord up from florida florida right or in or indiana in and florida okay all three there we go hallelujah good to have you this morning praise his name uh amen take your bibles open them to a different passage of scripture we're going to go to a little different passage of scripture we're going to go to the song of solomon the Song of Solomon. Nobody get nervous. Nobody get nervous. Song of Solomon. It's right after Ecclesiastes, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon. Just such a beautiful, beautiful book. And I want to speak to you this morning about intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus. And we'll get to our scriptures in just a moment. But we're going to be in Song of Solomon 3 and 5. Chapters 3 and 5. You know, as I... <clears throat> I don't necessarily plan these things uh, uh, as much uh, as people might think. And sometimes as you just sort of get in the flow of, of what the Spirit is sensing in your heart, you just keep moving. And uh, the last couple of weeks, I seem to see sort of a, a common thread, I guess you'd say, uh, of um, a thought in, in, in the messages that we shared. And I believe at the, at the root of everything that we've been saying is a successful, dynamic, vibrant relationship with Jesus. And that really is made up of a deep intimacy between the Savior and the saved. We have to have a deep intimacy with our Lord and Savior. And I believe it also speaks of a full dependency on Jesus. We have to have a full dependency on him, especially in these last days. And a complete rest and trust in him as a total Savior that he is saving us to the uttermost, as the word says, and that requires a complete uh, rest in him. So, for instance, when we look back at a, a couple weeks ago, we talked about learning to live above the line, and not below the line, but learning to live above the line where we're seated with him in the heavenly places, and we realize that to do that, we have to subjugate the flesh. It's always here. We have to nullify a lot of the desires that are, that are in us. We have to reject feelings that hinder that intimate relationship with Jesus and we know we live in a world where it's filled with feelings and thoughts and things and stuff that are always always hindering and in a very real way what we see taste feel or sense can hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives second Corinthians 4 the outward man is perishing and how many know that outward perishing can hinder our relationship with Jesus what we feel, the aches and the pains, or the unemployment, or the sickness, or the this or the that, 
uh, the bills that come, it can, it can hinder us. We look at things which are not seen, Paul says in that same chapter, because he said the things which are not seen are eternal, and the things which are seen are temporal. They're, they're passing away. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, he says it again. We don't look on the outward. And it's so hard because every time you open your blasted eyes, you're seeing the outward. We're seeing this and this flesh and everything. And it's so hard. So all of those things uh, move us away from the things of the Spirit. And, and we're walking by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're walking by invisible things. Very difficult. Now, we're not Buddhists in the sense that we reject the material world. We know the material world is here. But we as believers realize that the material world can interfere with our spiritual walk. So the more intimate we become with Jesus, the more we learn to live above the line and not below it. Then last week we discussed uh, living in Babylon and how much Babylon can pressure us and hinder us. And we see how all the elements of, of Babylon converge on our flesh. And many times we're like Lot living in Sodom. Our, uh, we're grieved. Our righteous soul is grieved by the things that we see and the trappings of the world and the things that are happening. And we're, we're hounded by the flesh so many times as we walk through this, through this world. So we're learning to live above the line. We're learning to live above Babylon. We're learning to live victoriously in Sodom, triumphantly in Gomorrah because we're here. And uh, all of these things require a deep, deep intimacy with Jesus, and that's what we want to talk about today, living that deep intimacy with him. Now, of course, the Song of Solomon is a beautiful picture of the marriage relationship, and we understand that, but as is much of the Old Testament, it is a metaphor, it's an analogy uh, of, of who Jesus is, an allegory of our life in Jesus. So Song of Solomon, as you read it, as Christ and the church. And I choose to read it as, as Christ in the church because if I read it as a husband and wife, then I get convicted because I'm not never be a good a husband as Saul and Solomon want me to be. Amen. But Jesus is the best husband there is and the best brother and the best father and all of that. So, so what we need to understand is as we read this metaphor, uh, while we're talking about intimacy, we're, we understand, of course, that intimacy and sex are two different things, right? You can have an intimate relationship with a member of the same spouse, but there's no sex involved. So I can have an intimate relationship with another man. I could share the deepest, most heart, deepest parts of my heart and, and with another man, and, and of course, that's a, a wonderful thing to do. So we are not talking about sex. Everybody say that together. Ready? We are not talking about sex. That was, that was good. I, everybody went like this. We are not talking about. We are not. I can't say that word in church, can I? We are not talking about that. We are talking about intimate relationship. We are talking about Jesus and you, Jesus and me. And we need to understand for all of us that true intimacy really finds its fullest expression in spiritual life. That's the the deepest intimacy we can have is a relationship with our creator. That goes way beyond any other earthly relationship. Uh, I, I love Proverbs, the fourth chapter. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life. That word issues there means the going forth all the way to the borders. Uh, one translation says everything up to the fringes of the outer edges. 
Everything comes from our heart. That's why we need to keep it with diligence. All of it is determining what's in, what's in our lives, our conduct, our faith, our virtues, sex itself, parenting, job performance, all of those things. All of those things flow out of the heart, and that's why it need, we need to keep it. So we need to have intimacy with the Savior at the core and the forefront of all we do. Now, let's just read uh, the third uh, chapter first. We're going to read the first five verses. Then we're going to flip to the fifth chapter, and you're going to see the relationship. These are two separate passages which are highly similar with two different outcomes. So let's look at the first one, third uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, By night, verse 1, by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and I will go about the city, in the streets, and in the squares. I will seek out the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me, and I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed them by when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him to the house of my mother into the chamber of her who conceived me. And then here's the verse. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Strange verse. Strange verse. Then the fifth chapter. Same thing. Go down to verse uh, 2. Now it's reversed. I sleep, but my heart is awake. Now it's the voice of my beloved. And he's knocking, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew and my locks with drops of the night. But she responds, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose and opened for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh, and the handles of the lo- on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but, uh-oh, my beloved had turned and was gone. My heart leaped when I spoke. I sought him, but could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went around the city found me, and they struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the wall took my veil away from me. And then here it comes, a similar charge. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I'm lovesick. Hmm. So let's get, let's get the two stories straight in our minds. Song 3 says, it was the night I sought him, I called him out, the watchman helped me, I found him, I would not let him go, and I brought him to a place of intimacy. Song 5 says, it was the night he called to me. She doesn't go out, but the excuses began, right? I've already changed my clothes. I've already bathed myself. I've already, how can I get dirty again? So she doesn't get up. But then when she does, she gets up, and it's too late, and she calls, but no one answers. Anybody hear the parable of the ten virgins in this? Five wise, five foolish, five were not ready when he came. The watchman in this part beat her, and the story ends, and he is not found, and there is no intimacy with the one she loves. And in both cases, she says something. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, don't stir or awaken love until it pleases. And we'll talk about that later. And then again, I charge you, O daughters, if you find my beloved, tell him I am lovesick. Now, 
that's the foundation, that's the basis of what we're going to share. I don't know about you, but I want to be in the third chapter and not the fifth chapter. I want to be in an intimate relationship with my Savior. I don't want to be wandering around trying to find him with a lovesick heart. I want to be in the secret place with him, not in the desert place wandering around parched. I want to be in the Holy of Holies with him, not in the outer courts, wandering around with the Gentiles, wondering if I'll be able to ever get in and see him. I want to live my life in chapter 3. I don't know about you. And, 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 and as we get into that, there are so many things in this world that are pushing us out of intimacy with Jesus. So many things, number one. Things. Things to do, things to buy, things to be, things to have that, oh Lord, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that for you, but I, I got this to take care of first, and I got that to take care of first, and all the car needs fixed, and the gutters need to be repaired, and this needs to be done, and that, so many things that push us from chapter 3 to chapter 5. So much stuff, oh my Lord, the stuff we have. It seems like we clean out the basement every month and more stuff goes in there. I think, it, I think the stuff at home right now is secretly reproducing and we don't know it. The more she gives away, she, her favorite line as she goes through the house is, if we haven't used it for a while, out it goes in Jesus' name. Out to the curb. Out to the curb. It's stuff we have. How about people? The people that interfere with our relationship with Jesus. The relationships that go bad. The relationships we want to have and aren't there. The relationships we have to try to replace the relationship we should have with Jesus. That was not an amen. That was a mmm. That was a mmm. And, and one of the biggest ones right now... One of the biggest ones right now is fear. I've said this to you before. It's fear. It's fear. You can see the fear in people's eyes still. There's a panicked fear in people's eyes. Fear of getting sick. Fear of... Fear of and so I, I talked to somebody a while back and said, well, I just don't want to get sick. And I thought, well, neither do I. My goodness. I, if you want to get sick, you're weird. You need help. There's a lot of things I don't want. I don't want to get hit by a car. I don't want to get a splinter. I don't want to stub my toe. I don't want to get food poisoning. I don't want to get sunburn. I don't want to get sun poisoning. I There's a lot, but I still go out and I still eat. Still do all sorts of things. I don't, nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to have this thing happen. There, there are those, I've said, that have gone through COVID, and many of us maybe still will. I don't know. But I know one thing. I'm going to go through it with Jesus. Hallelujah. Just like everything else we go through. We go through with Jesus. We go through unemployment with Jesus. We go through broken relationships with Jesus. We go through sickness with Jesus. We go through everything with Jesus. He's always there. And, and I read this a while back, and this is so wonderful. Uh, that I, I have to read it. Some of you might have seen it on the internet or might have read it. It's from C.S. Lewis. And I have to read it to you because 
uh, especially the last line, he doesn't know, I believe, that he gave a prophetic utterance in 1948 that he didn't even know. C.S. Lewis, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, etc., one of the great Christian writers who was a, a devout agnostic and atheist as a professor at Cambridge University and then came to know the Lord through, through logic and, and understanding and then became a very profound writer. And uh, during the height of the, the bombing in uh, World War II in London, the Blitz, <clears throat> there was... Uh, uh, it's good to see our brother here. You flew bombing raids. Hallelujah. He flew bombing raids over Tokyo, right? Yes, amen. World War II vet. God bless him. But hallelujah, amen. And uh, as, as the, the raids were occurring, of course, the, the, the bombing that was, that was happening in London at that time in 1942, 43, 44, etc., by the Nazis... I, I hate to tell you, it was way worse than COVID, folks. I mean, you would go to bed at night and wake up dead the next morning. You would go to bed at night and wake up the next morning with no arms or legs, the house on top of you. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that they had to take all the children in London and move them out to the country because they were afraid of all the, the, of, of all the children dying. So they had to move them out. So it was a horrible time, a lot of fear there. Then right at the end of World War II, the Atomic Age began. And England was in the crosshairs, they felt, of Russia and others. And so they created this whole plan of how to deal with, uh, with nuclear weapons, or with atomic bombs and things like that. And so uh, during that blitz and during that time, the British government took uh, C.S. Lewis and said, would you give a radio address, uh, daily I believe, a radio address uh, to the British people to help them not be afraid. And then after that, he wrote several articles. And this is from a book in 1948 called On Living in the Atomic Age. And I just love it because it addresses fear, and it's so wonderful. He says this, In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. And you could cross out atomic bomb and put whatever fear you have there. How are we to live in an atomic age? He's asked. I'm tempted to reply, why? You should live the same way that you lived in 16th century in England when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might come and cut your throat any night. Or, indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, 1948, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. Aren't you glad you came this morning? It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. Not one of us in this room is going to outlive death unless Jesus comes back. This is the first point to be made, he said, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. 
if we're going to all be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. Now listen to this last line. I am not kidding you. He wrote this in 1948. They may break our bodies, in parentheses, a microbe can do that. but they need not dominate our minds. A microbe can do that. <laughs> Listen, folks, the further I move away from my intimacy with Jesus and with his word, the more I move into fear, the more I'm consumed by doubt, the more worry erodes my spirit, the more I will isolate myself, the more I will pull away from everybody else, the more I will turn into one giant universe with only me in it, the more I will segregate, the more I will despise, the more I will hurt, the more I will be hurt. I have got to keep my place of intimacy with Jesus, knowing that my life is hidden with Christ in God, and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand, and my Father, who is greater than all Jesus said, has given them to me, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. We have no fear. We have no worry. We have no doubt. We have no dread. Nothing. Now, I'm going to just give you real quickly. That was all the introduction. So I'm just going to... Now, four quick points. And, and I'm just going to run through these quickly. I'm not going to spend much time on them because they're all self-explanatory. The, the Shulamite in, in Song of Solomon says, Do not excite love. Do not stir it up until the time is right and you're ready. Why? Well, four things. Number one, because maintaining intimacy requires unselfishness. If you want to stay intimate with somebody or with your Savior, you've got to be unselfish in your life. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Intimacy, I was going to say intimacy may cost you. It not may, intimacy costs you everything, especially with our Savior. It costs me everything. So maintaining intimacy, that's why the, 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 the Shulamite says, don't, don't, don't start love until you're ready. <laughs> See, some, so, too many people start love too fast, don't they? They start love with a sexual relationship, and they think that's it. And then all of a sudden they're shocked when the demands of real love take over Oh, everybody's looking at me now like, okay, can you stop this, please? Can you go on to another subject? Can we just talk about how Jesus heals us in our bodies? <laughs> Intimacy requires unselfishness. It costs us everything to be with our Savior. But you know the returns are fantastic, though. Hallelujah. The second thing is that intimacy requires persistence. Persistence. You can't, you can't be intimate on Monday and Tuesday and then not be intimate on Wednesday and Thursday. It doesn't work that way. You, you, can't, you can't go to work tomorrow morning and say, hey, uh, boss, I'll be here uh, half a day today, maybe part of the day tomorrow, and then I'll see you again on Friday, and we'll go close it up. No. It requires persistence. Intimacy requires persistence. Think about the little woman 
with the issue of blood that had spent everything on a doctor and had nothing left over. Oh, my Lord. Spent everything. And so she heard Jesus was coming, and the crowds begin to throng. <clears throat> the multitudes begin to follow. And so she sought him out. She called. She enlisted help of others by pushing through them. This little woman with the issue of blood, she knew she had to get to Jesus. She had to get intimate with him. She had to touch just the hem of his garment. She would not let him pass. She would not let anyone stop her. She wouldn't let the crowd stop her. She wouldn't let the mocking stop her. She wouldn't let the powerlessness stop her. She wouldn't let the Pharisees who were pointing their fingers at her saying, unclean, unclean. She wouldn't let any anybody stop her until she touched Jesus. That's how persistent we've got to be. And it was interesting in, in that brief story there in the Gospels, she was actually the second character. The first character was a guy named Jairus. And Jairus came pressing through the crowd and said, my daughter's dying. And Jesus did not deal with him initially. Instead, he said, I feel virtue go out of me. Who touched me? And he turned away from Jairus, who had a dead, dying daughter, and came and talked to this little woman with the issue of blood and put him second. But he still persisted until at the one point they came and said, don't bother the master, she's dead. And his persistence still, in spite of the negative word, in spite of the crowds, in spite of the mocking, because when they got to the house, they were laughing at him. In spite of all that ridicule, he said, Jesus, please come to my house. There still could be hope. Listen, my friend, you're going to get down so low in your lives sometime. It's going to get so low that it's going to get low enough that you're going to call. You're going to crawl. You're going to push. You're going to claw. You're going to gravel. You're going to do whatever it takes to get into his presence. Persistence. Persistence. You know the key to a really good spiritual walk is? Don't wait till you get that low. Get there right now. Get there in the good times. So it requires unselfishness. It requires persistence. And maintaining intimacy requires flexibility. Flexibility. You, you, you're going to have to zig and zag with Jesus. Believe me. You're going to have to zig and zag with the world. If you zag when he's zigging, watch out. If you zig when he's zagging, watch out. Stay with him and be flexible. I love the story. You can go home and read it, but most of you know it. But uh, Acts, the 15th chapter, the Apostle Paul, that sweet, gentle, kind man that he was, just so considerate and loving in everything that he did, got in an argument with the disciples. The tempers flared, the word says, and Paul kicked out John Mark. He said, get rid of him. He's of no use to me right now. Get rid of him. Well, just a few years later in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, he said, you know what, um, Bring John Mark. He's useful to me now. Oh, really? So you, you idiot. <laughs> you let your temper get the best of you, and you burnt some bridges that you knew you probably shouldn't have, and guess what happened? Life requires flexibility. Sometimes, unlike the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon, his call will not be convenient, it will not be easy, it will not be cheap. It will require you to mess up your life a little bit. You know what I say? I've been saying it for a long time now. Jesus just messed my life up. Not in a negative way. I'm not, I'm not saying he'd do anything negative, but Jesus just, 
if you want to change my direction, change it. If you want to move me, move me. If you want me to shut up, shut up. If you want me to say something, I'll say it. But just, just do your work and let me be flexible. And then the fourth one is maintaining intimacy requires preparedness. It requires preparedness. She got all dolled up, right? She got the myrrh on her hands. She got the ointments. She got her hair all dolled up. You know, like we say, sometimes if the barn needs to be painted, you know. And she had so much on her hands that she couldn't even turn the doorknob because the oils and the ointments. She was, she was all ready, but it was too late and it was the wrong time. Oh boy. What's Paul say? Be in season and out of season. Ready, ready. Ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Be ready, be instant, instant, instant in season and out of season. You know, you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You could be in the right place at the wrong time. You could be at the wrong place at the right time. None of that works. It's so wonderful when you're in the right place at the right time. And as we follow his spirit and be prepared for him, accepting things that we normally wouldn't accept, doing things that we normally wouldn't do, changing our mind about something, realizing we're wrong and we need to move on. So many ways that we could be prepared for him. And I don't know about you, but I want that third chapter in my life. I want to be that Shulamite that says, I'm calling God, I'm searching, and I'm holding on to you, and I'm not going to let you go. Unselfishness. And I think you could make the application, you probably already have, I hope, not just to you personally, but to your relationships, to your spouses if necessary, to the church itself. Realizing unselfishly, we belong to each other, don't we? We belong to each other. At the top of our agendas should be our spouse, but at the top of our agenda should also be each other, to help each other and to bless each other. We were made to glorify Christ through each other. Persistence. How many know that living together, forget marriage, how about this place right here? All of us living together, it, it takes persistence. <laughs> Go ahead, you can say amen. It takes persistence for you to live with me. It takes persistence for me to live with you. It, hey, remember, there's only one of me, there's a lot of you. It takes persistence for all of us to live together and overlook each other's faults and overlook each other's failures and overlook each other's miscommunications. Do you realize how many times we miscommunicate with others and it could lead to hurt? It takes energy and persistence to overlook each other. It takes flexibility. If you're going to be in a body, if you're going to be working together, it takes flexibility. It takes preparedness. And, and I look at all of this and I see in this Shulamite the first love that she had. That wonderful love. Remember the first love we had with Jesus. Oh, Lord, bring us back. Bring us back. Remember that first love. And I believe that Jesus right now in our lives wants intimacy more than he wants perfection. He wants intimacy more than he wants a flawless walk. He wants intimacy more than he wants great Bible knowledge. He wants intimacy more than he wants a prayer warrior or an intercessor. 
Because when he has that intimacy with us, guess what? He's going to get all that. We're going to grow into all those things. And there's one other horrible thing in this passage, in that fifth chapter. He came to the door and he knocked and she delayed and he left. That's a, that's a horrible, frightening picture. I'm glad that that's just an old covenant story because I'm glad to know that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. <laughs> he is always there in our mistakes. But don't forget that wonderful passage in the book of Revelation that so many believers quote to unsaved people. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears and opens, I'll come in and I'll sup with him. Folks, he wasn't saying that to unsaved people. He was saying that to the church of Laodicea. That is a graphic lesson for us. God forbid that Jesus would be standing outside of Emmanuel, knocking on the door saying, can I please come in? You know, church goes so much better when Jesus is here. Our relationships are so much better when Jesus is here. Our love for one another is so much deeper when Jesus is at the center. Let's never, ever, ever let our Savior knock on the door outside. And we're too busy. We've got too much stuff going on. I'll tell you what, this is a word for the American church, by the way. There are too many churches that have too much stuff going on that Jesus can't come in. Don't want to get there. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this wonderful lesson from our brother Solomon, who knew all of this. He saw it all. That's why after he had backslidden away from you, he said, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. The only thing that matters is God. The only thing that matters is Jehovah. Help us, Father, to not be Song of Solomon 5 Christians who have so many other things to do in life, but help us to be Song of Solomon 3 believers who will concentrate on you and want you and desire you and persist to be with you. Not that we be our perfect people, but that our hearts are broken and open and always wanting to hear your voice. And you'll knock on that door and you'll come into us and you will find us and we will find you and we will have the intimacy that you want with your children. And from that intimacy, we're going to see great victory in these last days. I thank you for that, Father. We praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm glad that I serve a Savior that is not like an Allah or a Buddha or anybody else, but he says, come boldly before the throne of grace. <laughs> How many are glad you can go in there anytime, anytime? Let's stay in that presence. Amen? Hallelujah. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go forth praising him in Jesus' name. Amen.